This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to the Equity Mate Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Comsec, the home of investing. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well known companies from around the world. Each episode, we'll be unpacking one company with one expert. We'll learn from their process and understand why they like the company. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm excited for this episode. For me, this pairing is fitting. This pairing of company and investment manager, both uh, somewhat under the radar, but very high performing with an impressive track record. Do you think that's I a would fair agree assessment? on the fund manager side. I would disagree on the company side. I think the company that we're speaking about today is less under the radar than I think it's not. I don't think it's under the radar. Well, it's certainly not <laughs> going to be under the radar now that it's had the equity mate spotlight shone bright absolutely, on it. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. The company we are talking about is Mineral Resources, and the expert that is joining us to unpack it is Fraser Christie. He is a member of the investment team at TDM Growth Partners. Uh, again, another awesome expert to join us. Love hearing from the guys at TDM Growth Partners. The Equity Mates Summer Series is proudly supported by Comsec, the home of investing. If you've just started investing or looking to build confidence, Comsec has some free tools and resources available before you even sign up to help you on your journey. Get a grip on all the investing basics with Comsec. Start investing with as little as $50 through the Combank app. Go to combank.com.au for more. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Now, before we get into it, we need to remind you that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes, any advice is general. All right, Bryce. Well, before we speak to Fraser about mineral resources, let's unpack the company ourselves. And I think the starting point for me for mineral resources is a company that gets shortened, shortened, not shorted, uh, the longer that you talk about it. It starts as mineral resources. As you start doing some research, you start calling it MinRes. And then once you've held it for a little while, it's just MINS. Yes. Must be nice. All the same company. MINS. Mins. Yes. MINS, ticker MRL, is an Australian mining services company. It also has businesses in iron ore, lithium, and energy, but its primary 
business and w- the one that has been pumping out incredible shareholder returns over the last decade or so, or two decades even, is the mining services business. Mm. I think they're the fourth largest iron ore producer in the world, Daylight from the, the top three, and they are a major producer of lithium spodumene concentrate. Yeah, so the company was founded in 1994 by Chris Ellison and it listed on the ASX in 2006. From 2006 to today, it's up more than 5,000%. It's been a pretty incredible story. Mm. But it was down about a third in 2023, about 33% down. Yes. So... Things aren't good. Well, that's <laughs> not quite true. Yes. It has been tied quite closely to the price of lithium, given its projects in the lithium space, and lithium hasn't had a didn't have a great year mm. in 2023. So it's no surprises there. But I'm sure we'll hear from Fraser that it's a small blip in a much more bullish longer term story. Yeah. Now I think the mining services sector as a whole deserves a little bit of attention to put sort of put Minres in context because it's a pretty unloved sector. Now, if you think about what mining services is, a mining company will own the rights to mine a certain parts of land. They'll specialize in doing the damn thing, digging up the ore, mining. Mining services companies do all the ancillary services around the operation of a mine. So it might be in helping build the mine. You know, there might be like explosives experts and stuff like that. They get contracted to do certain things. It might be in operating the mine. It might be providing catering (laughs) catering and cleaning services. I don't know. I think think HR is probably in (laughs) house. No, no, it's just the trucks. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what MinRes do is process a lot of the ore. So the BHPs and Rios of the world will dig up a lot of rock, yes, technical term, yes, and then Minres will uh, separate the ore, the valuable ore, from the the rock, and you know they'll crush it and do all kinds of things to it, crush it and shake it and shift it, <laughs> yes, and, sieve it, um, <laughs> and that's what they specialize in. But as a whole, mining services is pretty unloved because it's seen as quite cyclical. Yeah, when uh, the commodity prices are high. Mines that only make sense on the margins when prices are high, they get built in those times. Uh, but then as prices fall, those mines stop operating. Mm-hmm. And so mining services companies ride that cycle. When things are good, more mines are being built, more mines are being serviced, they get a lot more work. And then when things are bad, their work dries up. But mineral resources isn't like a lot of these other mining services companies. Mm. They operate a little bit differently, Ren, in that they're not so tied to the cyclical nature because their business revolves more around the throughput of the rock, not necessarily the price of the commodity. What we mean by that is they come along and build the infrastructure right next to the BHP mine or in some form of proximity, and they get paid on how much rock that they put through the machine and crush. And so you know, given that they're operating with the largest miners in the world, these aren't mines that necessarily shut down when prices uh, fall because, you know, they are able to withstand the cyclical nature of, of the commodity price. And so what Mineral Resources is able to do is lock in very long-term contracts with these companies and be able to ride, I guess, the cyclical nature of the commodities industry more so than other mining services companies. Yeah. If you think about BHP, one of the lowest cost operators in the world, whether the iron ore price is high or low, they'll be making margin. They'll be digging. 
and they will be have a lot of long-term contracts and they're going to have a pretty consistent level of output each year. Mm. And so for MinRes, that means they have a pretty consistent level of processing and that means a pretty consistent level of revenue mm. for like each contract yeah. um, and stuff like that. So that's why they're a little bit different to a lot of mining services companies. Mm. I think that's the place where we should start. Then what they've been able to do is take the incredible cash flows generated from the mining services business and start deploying that into other areas. So they've then gone into buying their own iron ore mines and then selling them on and and, and then uh, building the infrastructure and giving themselves the long-term contracts. So there's a bit of a, a value chain there. And then they're doing the same now with lithium and also looking at doing the same in energy. So mm. taking that cash and uh, essentially applying the same sort of concept, like what other mines can we start to operate here, use our mining services business to give ourselves the contracts and uh, and create more value that way. Yeah, I think that's probably all the context that we need to give at this point. Fraser will do a much better job than us at telling the story of Chris Ellison and, and what he's built. So I think let's get to it. Let's talk about one of Australia's most loved companies, at least in the professional funds management Definitely. world, one of Australia's most loved companies in one of Australia's least loved sectors. Before we speak to Fraser, if you're interested in exploring more investment opportunities, check out Comsec and the thousands of Australian and global listed companies available on the platform. Additionally, if you're looking for daily market updates, subscribe to Comsec Market Update, their daily podcast. Invest in shares on the US market from just $5 USD brokerage. Visit comsec.com.au for more. Comsec, T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Investing overseas exposes you to additional risk. We'll be right back with Fraser after this break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Equity Mates Summer Series. We're here with Fraser Christie. Fraser, welcome to Equity Mates. Thanks for having me. So Fraser, how would you describe mineral resources? What does it do? 
Minres is a mining conglomerate based in Western Australia. Today operates across four business units. So there's mining services, iron ore, a lithium business and, a, and an energy business. But, but at its core, the heartbeat of the business is the mining services organisation. This is a business founded by a guy by the name of Chris Ellison. He's a country boy from New Zealand. He started this business in 1992 with $10,000 and a $50,000 limit on a credit card. And today it's a $12 billion business. It IPO'd in 2006 and has compounded at 30% per year every year. It's now a $60 share price, employs over 7,000 people, and we think can grow to multiples of its current size in the coming years. We'll get to the four business units that you spoke to in a bit more detail, but I think you know you told us where it started. Give us, I guess, some of the key history over that, what, 20, almost 30-year period. 50 grand credit card limit on his kitchen table to, you know, $12 billion business and he's a billionaire in his own right today. What are some of the key milestones on that journey? Like how, how has he taken it from the kitchen table to, you know, the, the super yacht, I guess? This is the, the magic of Chris and of mineral resources that still exist today. And it really comes down to two key areas. The first being the mining services capability. So Chris has always been able to build projects for lower capex in shorter amounts of time and then operate them at lower costs than anybody else in the mining industry globally. So that has given him a competitive advantage to go run projects that shouldn't otherwise exist or would be unprofitable to everyone else in the ecosystem. And then the second piece is he's just a brilliant capital allocator. So, so what do I mean? What are some examples? Talking to Tom, one of our founders, going right back to when we first invested in this business at IPO, one of the original deals Chris cut with BHP was to actually crush and process a pile of waste. So BHP had said, (laughs) that's waste, we don't need that anymore, we've already sort of extracted all the iron ore from it. And Chris said, let me put that through my crusher and any iron ore I put out the other side, let's share in the profitability and the upside. And from there, he then uses cash flow from both the steady services contracts, but also some of these unique and interesting deals to then kind of parlay into the next mine he might buy for very little cost. So even today, it was just announced in the last couple of months, he's bought a lithium business down near Kalgoorlie called Bald Hill, and he's paid in the order of $260 million for that lithium mine. It was bought out of an administration process. On our maths, that mine will probably generate that in EBITDA every single year under (laughs) under conservative lithium prices uh, going forward. So so those are the types of deals he's been able to do over the years. But but it hasn't all just been kind of up and to the right. There's been – this has been a bumpy journey. You you can imagine he's not operating – BHP's iron ore assets that have the lowest cost of production, biggest tons. He's been sort of chipping off higher cost marginal production assets and running them when there's been high commodity price environments and then having to sometimes put them on care and maintenance and stop them in lower commodity price environments. So there's been two occasions where there's been 70% drawdowns in the share price. One being the GFC where everyone thought BHP and Rio would rip up all the MINS contracts and then again through the kind of 2015 iron ore price, super depressed environment, the share price dropped about in the order of 70% as well. So it's been a, it's been a bumpy, very volatile ride. 
But today, as we mentioned, this is a big, very strong business that's in the process of transforming itself into a lower cost operator across all of its business units. Mm. Mm. You guys must be licking your lips. Isn't it down something like 30% last 12 months or thereabouts? It is, yes. Although, you know, at the $100 share prices it reached, lithium was at, I think, you know, five, six, yeah, seven thousand yeah. $7,000 a tonne for yeah. spodumene and it's now down at 1500 So it's a kind of a whole different world in a very mm. short period of time. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of the 30% drawdown, it feels like in at least in the retail investing space, Minres has kind of been lumped in with a lot of the other lithium players and they've fallen as the lithium price has fallen this year. But as you said at the start, Minres has four business units. It's a lot more than just a lithium play. So let's talk about those four business units in a bit more detail. What do they do and what, what should we know about them? Yeah, so the first one I'll start on is the mining services business, which, as I mentioned, is the real core competitive advantage of Minres. And I think most people have this misconception that mining services businesses are generally pretty crummy businesses. They low margin, they trade on low multiples. But the MinRes mining services business, we think of more as infrastructure services. So I've actually got some images here of the plant they operate. But what I would say is MinRes mining services business generates very high return on capital. It generates 30% EBITDA margins and the contracts are generally multi-year. So it's not even one or two year, like 10 year, 20 year type contracts in some instances. And, And what they're doing for BHP or Rio is not sending them yellow goods or labor hire for cleaning or catering or anything like that. They're spending their own money to build infrastructure on the BHP site that will live on BHP and Rio sites for many, many years. And what it's doing is crushing and processing the ore. So you go out to a mining pit in WA. I must admit, I'm a city boy. I only stepped foot on a mine two <laughs> years ago, but well, I'll do my best. Yeah, they, they dig up the dirt and they put it through these crushes to separate out waste, which is just the dirt, and then the ore that eventually gets kind of sent by rail to the coast and ported up to China. And so an example of that crushing infrastructure is, a, is this big blue kit here that's currently sitting on one of BHP's sites. Wow. So all of that is, I mean, it's, it's massive. You can see there's kind of little cars and trucks and things around there. You can see the scale of. Something like that is operating on BHP's site. I've got another image here of the processing plant that's currently being operated at Wajina, which is one of their lithium mines. Again, you can see a little huddle of people down in the corner. We're, we're talking football fields and football fields worth of of infrastructure. Uh, Another example is at their Mount Marion lithium site. There's just construction gear everywhere. There's processing equipment everywhere. And then the final one, and this is where MINS as an infrastructure service provider is really taking off, is their new iron ore project. They're actually building ports, transshippers like this one, their own private haul roads, airstrips, mining camps, the works. If people want to see these images, jump onto our YouTube and uh, you can see all four of them. It's pretty incredible. Mm. Just massive infrastructure projects. And so when you, again, from my perspective as a city boy who'd never seen a mine, I had lumped this business into there's just a bunch of bodies on a BHP site somewhere. I remember when I first joined TDM and I, and I was told, hey, this is one of our kind of key investments and I was initially doing some work. I was just perplexed. But they are operating all across Western Australia, across mines they own and third-party mines, and they are absolutely crucial to getting volume at a low cost out the door for these major miners. So you mentioned there that TDM bought it at IPO in 2006, and since then it's had two 70% drawdowns. So um, let's talk about Minres and also just about like the skill of investing more generally. 
in those drawdowns, did you sell? Did, did you hold? Did you buy more? And how, I guess, as investors, are you getting comfortable in those periods where it's it's scary? It's really hard. And, and we're certainly not commodities investors. We don't have any other commodities investments. But somewhat strangely, the commodity price cycle almost suits our long-term time horizon. And we were definitely buying in those 70% drawdown moments. And so we've sort of flexed our position where when things run, like when lithium ran and the share price was at $100, we had a smaller position. And then in the middle of the GFC, we were buying aggressively. There's a, a sort of a famous war story that Tom tells that during the GFC, TDM was still a very small fund and they were aggressively buying mins right in those weeks when basically the world was ending and an investment banker called up Tom and said, guys, I don't think you understand what you're doing. You're, you're putting <laughs> your fund at risk. They're going to lose, Mins is going to lose all its contracts. Like, I'm really worried for you. Like we're friends and I'm really concerned that your business is going to go under because of this. And, you know, getting a call like that would be incredibly rattling. Mm. I can't imagine what it would be like, but to the guy's credit, they flew out to Perth. They spent time with Chris. They flew up to China to to see what was going on up there and, and they just did all of their work and it kind of came up with everything that we've talked about, that these crushing contracts are mission critical to the major iron ore miners. They're not linked to price. The major miners need these tons and, and that the, the volume wasn't going anywhere and, and MINS didn't lose a contract. Nothing changed, nothing was renegotiated. But that is, it, it's, a, it's a really uncomfortable feeling in your stomach in those moments but um but fortunately we've we've got it right mm. so far and and I think part of that is also trying to be a partner to the business showing them that you're there in those times helping them tell their investor relations story bouncing off ESG questions with them helping them with their remuneration framing and I think a benefit of being a shareholder for almost 20 years is that our knowledge of the business and the people has compounded over that period of time and that's what gives us comfort in moments like today where the lithium price is dropping heavily or other commodity price cycles or when people are worried about balance sheet or project risk. We've seen this before. It's happened all before and the business has delivered and, and executed extraordinarily well. And so we've been shareholders for 20 years and hopefully another 20 so that's mining services. That's yeah. just one of four. So uh, let's go through the other three business units. Yeah, sure. I'll start with iron ore. And, and again, it's it's key to think about the mining services business because iron ore wouldn't exist without the mining services business. So all the iron ore mines MINS owns, all of the operations, all of the infrastructure is delivered by the mining services division. So you can kind of see the cohesion across the business between the business units. And again, these were the current iron ore mines. MINS is a small player. So Western Australia will export in round numbers, 900 million tonnes of iron ore in any given year. MINS delivers about 20 million tonnes of that on its own. So it's small. These are also high cost mines. So they generally operated about two to three X the cost base of say a BHP or a Rio. And so you would look at that and say, well, maybe this isn't a particularly interesting asset. But keep in mind, Chris paid very, very little money for these these assets. So there's one up in the Pilbara, one down near Kalgoorlie. Best guess, maybe a billion dollars of uh, initial purchase price and capex has gone into these assets. Over the last five years, they've printed over $2.5 billion of EBITDA. 
alone and these assets will continue operating for some time. And so the value is in in the journey and in the capital allocation, not so much in the are these the best iron ore assets that exist out there. Now, the really exciting thing about the iron ore business is it's undergoing a huge transformation. So Chris is building what will be one of the largest iron ore projects built in a very long time in Western Australia that will uh, produce about 35 million tonnes of iron ore, so you know, meaningfully larger than the current business, and it will be a low-cost, long-life iron ore mine that will exist for you know 30-plus years. But the best part is all of, as I mentioned, all of the infrastructure, all of the mining services will be performed by the Minres Mining Services mm-hmm. business. So there will there'll be half a billion dollars of EBITDA sent from the iron ore business to the mining services business in the form of those contracts. And those are 20, 30-year contracts. Mm-hmm. It's infrastructure, it's the transshippers, it's port handling, it's all really, really high-quality earnings that will be sent across to the services business. And again, it's all... It's a complex asset. It's a complex supply chain. And so no other, we don't believe any other iron ore miner could have unlocked these stranded deposits and built a project like Mins is currently building. There's a lot of innovation out of the services business that goes into actually unlocking a mine like this. So that's services, iron ore. What about the lithium? So the lithium assets are are what everyone's been talking about over the last (laughs) couple of years and has certainly been the big moneymaker over the last couple of years. The lithium business is different to the current iron ore business in that it has always been a low-cost tier one lithium business. But Chris was very early into the lithium game. He, he paid very little to acquire Wajina, you know, five, six, seven years ago and then invested ahead of the curve before there was ever any lithium price run to invest in all this infrastructure that I've, I just mentioned earlier on the services side. And so today they own two core operating assets or 50% of two core operating assets in Western Australia. And then they've also been buying up stakes in a lot of junior lithium miners with a view that they're going to create at at least one, but likely two processing hubs where they'll use these disparate mines that they've got stakes in. They'll create centralized processing infrastructure that will be operated by the mining services (laughs) division. And they will be a key player in Western Australian lithium. Now, the other thing I'd say, Chris and Mins are continuously evolving and learning and lithium has been a core part of that journey. Lithium is a very abrasive rock compared to iron ore. And so they've had to innovate around the processing to actually deliver the tonnage at the costs that they need. But that has delivered them benefits processing other companies, iron ore and lithium, because there is no lithium industry where there are benchmarks set to go copy and to deliver the volumes you need. So they've had to really be at the forefront of that. So like a fun fact is that Pilbara Minerals, Pilgangura, all the crushing is actually done by Minres Mining mm. Services yeah, team. Right. So okay. Minres is really key to the lithium industry in Western Australia. Yeah. Wow. I'm getting the sense, and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but it, I'm getting the sense that all roads lead back to the mining services business. <laughs> and it's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to get a mining, a mining services contract. And sometimes that is by building the mine yourself. Before we get to that though, there is one more business unit. Let's round it out. Energy services. Yes. So energy is a more recent one and today there's no earnings from this business unit, but there is a longer history to this business unit. So Chris pre-mineral resources when he first came out to Australia actually operated on the Northwest Shelf in WA, which is uh, one of the gas fields. 
And periodically he has tried to buy oil and gas assets within mineral resources. So he actually bid to essentially own a stake of Waitsea, which is one of the gas projects in, in Western Australia at the minute, unsuccessfully, unfortunately. But he then went on a bit of a spending spree to buy up tenements both in, in and around Perth and further up north in Western Australia. And they've started drilling holes and, as you'd expect with Chris, they've found truckloads of gas. (laughs) He subsequently bought out his JV partner this year for about half a billion dollars. So he now owns 100% of everything in this, of all the tenements. He started buying drill rigs so that he can just start drilling everywhere through all his tenements and, and get a gas business up and running. The latest development is that you can imagine with everything going on in the world, LNG markets are attractive. And so Chris has decided he would like to build a thumping big gas plant in Western Australia and export a chunk of LNG up into global markets. But currently the WA government won't actually let that happen. So there's a bit of kind of back and forth going on now where they're kind of trying to to pitch the government all the value that would kind of accrue to the state by having another major gas project up and running. We sort of see that as a, a kind of a key pipeline project. And most importantly, from an ESG perspective, it'll help them rip diesel out of all their operations. They'll be able to convert everything into to gas, which drastically reduces their carbon footprint. So there's a, there's a positive story both within the MIMS business. There's a positive story for the WA state in that it will secure them really low-cost gas to heat their homes and provide electricity. And then, of course, there's a financial incentive of trying to export some of this as well. Chris, what a a weapon. (laughs) So, Fraser, wrapping all of that up, you've got four business units. How do you then, I guess, assess a company that has sort of distinct business units, but all, as you said, creating a bit of a value chain? What are the metrics that really matter? What, What don't matter? How do you bring it all together to start forming an an actual investment thesis? This has been a huge journey for me. I definitely started with this business thinking my thousand row Excel spreadsheet modelled mine by mine and all the (laughs) intricate kind of cost uh, line items was kind of the only way you could understand this business and what it was worth and and kind of, you know, how we should think about our, our investment position. Over time, it became very clear to me that every quarter, you know, when Chris is talking to, to shareholders in his quarterly updates and, and you can read those publicly, the transcripts are all available on their website, there's a new project, there's something different they're working on, they're recutting an existing joint venture agreement, they've purchased, you know, stakes in some random assets that I've certainly never heard of uh, being from Sydney. And so part of the investment thesis with this business is actually looking at the journey the business has been on, that it has compounded at 30% a year, that the return on capital has always been, call it 20 to 30% plus, and looking at Chris and his story and what he's building and giving him a very, very high degree of probability <laughs> that, it, that given everything he's delivered to date, he will deliver on at least some form of the plans that he currently has for this business. And if you believe even half of it, uh, you know, there's a very clear line of sight to double, quadruple your money. In this so business. the model is just a tick box. Is Chris still leading the company? <laughs> yes, <laughs> no. <laughs> Go from there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let, let's talk about, I guess, founder and founder risk. Like, you know, everyone wants to find, you know, owners uh, that have skin in the game and that have built businesses and that are 
doing the damn thing. Like, and he seems to be ticking all those boxes, but he's also made over a billion dollars personally. And he's, you know, in his sixties, how do you assess his, I guess, how do you assess him and him going forward? And is he going to retire anytime soon? Like, how do you think if so much of the thesis is around him and the people that he's got around him, how do you monitor that? It's a great question. And I'm smirking a little bit because I, I've had the very, very good fortune of being able to meet Chris. And, and that is, I don't know about you guys when, with your interviews, but when we get to meet founders of these incredible businesses, for me, it's like meeting Tom Brady kind of thing. Like <laughs> this is the Super Bowl and, yeah. you know, Minza has won the Super Bowl and I get to, <laughs> you know, sit down with Chris. And he is one of the most fired up, energetic, people you've you've ever met in your life and just has ideas for this company just coming out his ears essentially like he is constantly doing deals and evolving this business and and has no signs of slowing down and just at their recent AGM uh, when asked about succession and found risk and these things said I've got at least a decade left in me you know let's revisit this conversation in a decade <laughs> so uh, but it is something we think about in terms of like yeah what if he decides to go live on an island and I think this business and the projects that are already in hand this business could easily double in the next few years just with with what is in existence definitely Chris is the secret source though that does the Bald Hill deals that just that are just insane from a shareholder return perspective. And so he's a key factor to why this business has been successful and why, why it will continue to be very successful. Mm. If Chris went and lived on an island somewhere, he'd probably find a big lithium deposit yeah. there. Right? Uh, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, start drilling for gas. Yeah. <laughs> So you've mentioned a couple of times, Fraser, that you think, you know, the growth opportunity over the next few years or, or even further out is is pretty significant. Company yeah. could double. What forms that bull case? Like what needs to happen for that to play out? What is your bull case and, and how is Minres, I guess, maintaining or creating competitive advantage over others in its industry? So the double is the base case. So we are nice. expecting with the current projects that it is currently working on. So the, the Onslo, the big iron ore project I mentioned, that under sort of conservative commodity price assumptions, this business should double over the next few years. The bull case for us is probably the, the next doubling. And, and that's got to do with the projects that are yet to be kind of signed off and enter construction. So we're thinking things like the gas business and building a, a big gas plant in WA and potentially exporting a lot of that. And until they get all the, the approvals, until they've kind of signed off on construction, we kind of park something like that in, in the bull case. There's another iron ore project in the Pilbara that Chris has a JV with Gina Reinhart to export out of Port Hedland, which would be another, call it 20 million tonnes of iron ore again on the existing, you know, only 20 they've got today. I mentioned all the lithium stakes Mins has acquired over the last few months. We're not including any of that in our base case, but again, that will bring in a lot of earnings if they can create these hubs. So it's all about this pipeline of high return on capital projects that Chris consistently has lined up and is constantly working with his management team to say, okay, what's the next one that we're working on? What's the next highest return option available to us? And then kind of thinking about his balance sheet and, and making sure he's got that all sorted out and so he's allocating in a kind of a sensible time frame. But it, it's all about this pipeline of, of projects that he's got at his disposal. Mm. So I think, you know, Bryce and I listening and I'm sure a lot of people listening at home are getting quite excited about Chris in particular and, and the business Minres and, you know, the fact that you think the 
base case is doubling is certainly exciting. Let's turn to the bear side of it and potentially any risks to that thesis. And as I hear you talking about what Minres is building, it's like they have a really core competency in mining services and then they've sort of extended out into the value chain and they're like, you know, doing their own iron ore mining and then they've gone adjacent to another mineral with lithium and it seems like they've had a lot of success there, but now it's gas. There's a lot of companies throughout history that had had a really strong competitive advantage and then they tried to extend and build an empire outside of that core competency and returns fell and, you know, they, they struggled in these new businesses. What gives you confidence that that isn't what's going to happen here? Yeah, it's a really great question and we can kind of dive into some of the other risks as well. But um, this one just comes down to track record. I, I think we've found people with a really strong history of high performance across both the capital allocation elements and the operational elements. I mean, you've sort of got to back them when they are backing themselves to, to go into a new project. And I think, you know, Chris gets asked this question and I think his response kind of flippantly was, I don't know, we'll figure it out and if we can't, we'll Google it. Um, <laughs> uh, his, but in a, more, on a, in a more serious tone, Chris is incredible at attracting talent. So he's always attracted amazing people out of organisations around the world when he's faced with a problem that he doesn't necessarily know the specific answer to. And so I think on the gas side, he'll attract great people. He's got a lot of capability in, within the services business, both from a construction perspective and an operating perspective. He himself has worked in oil and gas previously. You know, the, the size of plants they're talking about building are very, very standard. We're talking about adding, you know, low single digit percents to Australia's total exports and production of gas. And so I think he backs himself to build things like that. And I think given his track record, we back him as well. As long as he's not risking the company, which he's he's not doing, you know, he's certainly, uh, you know, he's one of the best capital allocators on the ASX over the last 15, 20 years. Like I, I think you back a guy like that to, yeah. to get the job done. But in terms of other risks we're, we're thinking about, you know, I mentioned the doubling in the base case, but obviously the commodity price, which we haven't talked about, mm. is a huge driver of potential returns. We tend to think almost all our scenarios are based on just what we think is a very conservative commodity price assumption because we're not commodities people. We're not modelling what we think the lithium price or the iron ore price is going to do in six months, one year, three year, five year type thing. But if you think from the iron ore side, I mean, it's all over the headlines. Chinese property developers are blowing up. Shadow mm. lending system is not looking great. That's 30% of steel demand. So, you know, there's a potential risk over there. Now, people have been talking about that for over a decade. The Chinese government has often stepped in with big infrastructure bills to soak up some of that steel demand, but that that's a big risk. On the lithium side, you know, lately we've seen a big drop-off in the lithium price as demand for electric vehicles has um, sort of flattened out in terms of electric vehicle share of car sales, going into an uneasy macro environment where the consumers are struggling with high interest rates and big mortgages, they don't have spare cash to go buy a Tesla. So there's definitely shorter term risks that could mean, as has always happened through mineral resources history, that the share price could be very, very volatile. And there's definitely downside. But on that Again, that call it three-year view, 
this business is going to be transformed. Basically, the earnings across each division will double between now and three years away. And, and we sort of mentioned some of the drivers of that. The new Onslow Iron Ore project, the associated half a billion dollars of mining services earnings over on the mining services side, and then the lithium assets ramping up and expanding. And so we feel very good that if you're going to just double the raw output of a business, that's what's ultimately driving the intrinsic value to compound over time. Mm. And you'll benefit from commodity prices flying around. Sometimes they'll be great. Sometimes they won't be great. But, you know, you, you get the benefit of both sides. So there's clearly a lot of reasons to be excited. I guess the question is the share price is down a third this year. Why are you guys so much more excited than the market is? So if you were to kind of survey the investment banking sell side analysts of, of their concerns, <laughs> there, there's probably two that that come to mind. The, the first is just around this large Onslow iron ore project that MINS is currently building. So as I'm sure many listeners are aware, a lot of these major capital projects tend to blow out in cost, blow out in time, costing shareholders a lot of money, and it can end pretty disastrously. And given that is such a core part of our investment thesis, we're very focused on <laughs> on, on uh, mineral resources delivering that project on budget and on time. Again, you, you, you never know, but we've been out on site that mineral resources hosted a site tour where a bunch of investors got to go see the current construction project. Chris has delivered these sorts of projects on time and on budget for his whole career. Mineral resources has delivered these projects on time and on budget their entire existence. And so we feel really good that once all of the regulatory tape is cleared, MINS has a very strong history and track record of building these sorts of mines. There, this is nothing outside their core capability. It's all been done before. Building airstrips, roads, mines, crushes, it's all within their core competence. So, look, is there a chance it slips by a few months? Sure. Is the ramp up going to take a bit longer than expected? Maybe. But in the scheme of a multi-year investment thesis, we feel very strongly that they'll kind of get to the end point that they're targeting and deliver the associated kind of earnings benefits to the business. I guess it's probably an important reminder for all of us as investors, because we all, you know, you'll see a sell side prediction or you might say the full report and their timeframes can often be quite different to timeframes as us as investors and TDM as long-term investors as well. Yeah, that's right. And I, I also think... The other key concern is balance sheet, but I think this is right at the moment when MINS was always going to have the tightest balance sheet. They're deploying billions of dollars into this iron ore mine and other projects, and the earnings won't come through for another year or so. And uh, so this was always going to be the point of max leverage. So it's a it's a bit harsh to kind of raise the hand and say you, you've you've wrecked your balance sheet. You need to you know you're, you're putting the company at risk when we're right at the kind of the six months before this project ramps up. And as I said, delivers 500 million of EBITDA to the services side. So just on some rough maths, if there's four or $5 billion of gross leverage and, and there's a billion dollars of cash flow being spat out by the services business, which again is nothing tied to price, it's recurring earnings, multi-year contracts, the mining services business alone could carry that kind of debt mm. load, let alone all the earnings that are kind of come from the iron ore business and the lithium business in the coming years. So again, is this the kind of the pinch point from a balance sheet perspective? Absolutely. But again, we think if you kind of roll forward the clock 12 months, the business will be in a comfortable position. And, and again, it gives us comfort that 
the CEO with the best capital allocation record on the ASX over the last 15 mm. years thinks he's got so much cash up his sleeve that he's spending hundreds of millions of dollars buying stakes in junior lithium yeah, miners yeah, true. when, when uh, analysts are freaking out about his balance yeah, sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I yeah. guess then as investors, like the key thing to watch is this iron ore project yes. and are there any uh, cost blowouts or delays? Like that's the thing that you're watching first and foremost every time the company updates? Very, very, very closely. That is our number one priority. Now, obviously there's a lot going on with the lithium price and that will also impact earnings in the near term. But if we think about the intrinsic value of this business, this project is the most important thing by far and away. Well, Fraser, to close out, uh, we always like to look beyond the three years and think about what this company could look like in 10 years. And if Chris is still around in a decade, I'm sure there'll be many more projects on the pipeline. But how do you after speaking with Chris and, and uh, your own assumptions within the investment team, where do you think MinRes will be in 10 years' time? It's a really interesting question and, and one we do think about a lot. And I, and I think a recent change within the mineral resources, just operational structure is probably quite telling. Historically, it's all sort of just been operated as one company. And over the last couple of years, Chris has actually appointed heads of each business unit and they're now run almost independently. So you can imagine the lithium business is sort of working with the services business to price up contracts and construction and all those sorts of things, as is the iron ore business. And so over time, what I think you'll have is you'll have an infrastructure business that will be doing billions of dollars of EBITDA. You have a low cost, long life iron ore business of material scale, and you'll have one of the best hard rock lithium businesses in the world and you then at that point you'll also have a gas business and who knows what else yeah. Chris and <laughs> decide to get into. A gold mine. <laughs> yeah, 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 honestly. <laughs> so I think those independent business units will be big enough that actually I suspect you'll start seeing them spun out into their own independent entities to go on to be kind of incredibly successful, mm. carry on that mineral resources culture, that kind of focus on kind of high returns and capital allocation. And, and, and so I think MinRes will live on in some form even decades from now. Mm. Fascinating company, fascinating founder story as well. Like I think whenever we hear people talk about MinRes, it is always with Chris as the as the sort of driver for what has been an amazing compounder over many decades. So uh, thank you for coming in today and, and sharing that with us. We certainly appreciate it and always enjoy hearing from the TDM guys. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Now, before we go, we want to say a huge thanks to our summer series partner, Comsec, the home of investing. If you're looking for more support and resources to build confidence in the market, head to their content hub. Otherwise, you can get $0 brokerage on your first 10 trades for Australian markets when you join brokerage on US stocks from just five US dollars and you can invest from as little as 50 bucks through the Combank app. Download the Combank app today or visit combank.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Investing in overseas markets exposes you to additional risk. Now stick with us. We only have a couple of episodes to go. Next episode, we're joined by Tracy Wahlberg to talk about Lowe's. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. 
Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.